Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. Today, we are visiting with Jeff Moyer, the CEO of Rodal Institute. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Aaron. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm really excited for our, our conversation. I know we've got a lot to cover for our audience. And uh, before we dive in, let me uh, tell them a little about you and your background. Jeff Moyer is the Chief Executive Officer of Rodal Institute and has been on staff at Rodal Institute for over 44 years. He spent over 30 years as Farm Manager Director, was appointed as Executive Director of the Institute in September of 2015, and became CEO in September of 2019. Jeff was project leader on the highly acclaimed Organic No-Till Project and is the author of the book on this subject called Organic No-Till Farming, Advancing No-Till Agriculture, Crops, Soil, Equipment. He is a past chair of the National Organic Standards Board and currently sits on the boards of Regenerative Organic Alliance as board chair and the Soil Health Institute. Jeff is a founding board member of Pennsylvania Certified Organic and past founder and board chair of the Seed Farm, a new farmer incubator project. So, uh, Jeff, wow, just an amazing career that you've had already thus far. And I know you, you have a really important perspective to share with our audience. And uh, uh, we're, we're going to talk dirt today. We're going we're gonna to get dirty here. So let's just dive right in and, and uh, want to ask you, um, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about, you know, soil and regeneration? What does this even matter? Wow, that's, uh, you know, the whole idea of regenerating the health of the soil is key to our survival as a human species. You know, we have, we have to go back in time a little bit to, to really get to into the ground and, and dig up the dirt on uh, regeneration and, and what we're talking about. Our founder, J.I. Rodale, way back in 1942, he wrote some words on a blackboard. He said, healthy soil equals healthy food, equals healthy people. So he was really, you know, I don't know if he was a visionary. Uh, some people say he was. I don't know if he was a genius. I don't know if he was just lucky. Uh, it doesn't really matter. You know, he stumbled onto something that has really captured the attention of people as he began to, to tell us as farmers that our, our role was not to produce food and it wasn't to manage the soil. It's to make people healthy. Now the tools that we use are the soil and the food, but how we manage that, the, the end goal has to be to make people healthy. So he would say, uh, if the goal, for example, of farmers is to kill weeds, then Roundup is a great tool. But if the goal is to make people healthy, it's a terrible tool. It, that, it, there's no way you can use Roundup to make people healthy. That It just doesn't move you in the right direction. So he began to look at uh, and discuss this production paradigm that he called organic agriculture. And it sort of caught on, but it was moving relatively slowly. His son, Robert Rodale, took over the, uh, the, the organic, I mean, the, the Rodale Enterprises in 1971 when J.R. Rodale passed away. And he was a little frustrated with the speed at which organic practices were being adopted. So he was an early proponent of sort of giving the standard or creating a standard within the federal government and working with the USDA. Uh, many people were upset then. Many people are still upset, uh, you know, 30 years later that that's what happened with the word. Uh, but he saw it as an opportunity to move farther and faster because if you had a word that is sanctioned by the USDA, certainly it carries a lot more uh, panache in the marketplace and things will move farther faster. And they have. But he was also pretty smart, and he recognized that when you give something away, uh, you lose control. So we lost control of the word, and, and we gave up a lot of concepts that were originally part of organic. For example, the idea of continuous improvement. That got kind of shelved early on in the conversations with the federal government because they wanted to put our organic standard under their marketing division, and how does an ag marketer certify continuous improvement. Uh, you know, it just was too esoteric for a for them to, to grasp. 
So they put that off on the side. There was always this idea of that organic was supposed to be good for the soil. And so there's a little bit of language in the law about soil, but it's really not very strong. There was always a concept in the organic farming community that dealt with animal welfare. But the standards in our NOP program are relatively weak on animal welfare. And then the organic standard, the way it's written today in our, in our national uh, uh, NOP regulations, National Organic Program regulations, there's no language at all around human health or, or, or social justice or any of those community kind of activist or activism components. And so he was really interested in figuring out how do we magnify the word organic and make it mean what it really should mean and embody all of those tools. So he came up with the word regeneration. At the time he was talking about that, that was late 1970s, early 1980s, when he was talking about regenerative agriculture, and everybody sort of poo-pooed that idea and said, no, we're going to really gravitate towards this word sustainable and sustainability. The problem with the word sustainability, and that's never been a Rodale word, is it's a relatively weak word. It's not a strong action word. Now, it's a simple word to understand because people understand what sustain means, uh, but you can sustain a bad system with enough inputs. And some systems and some processes really should not be sustained uh, because that's not what we want to do. So if somebody said, uh, how is your life? And you said, oh, it's sustainable. They'd be kind of sad. Or how's your relationship with your spouse or your significant other? And you said, oh, it's sustainable. Yeah, just like you're smiling uh, and, and I am too. People chuckle and go, yeah, that's not a good word. I don't want to sustain it. And if you talk to people in the international community, uh, particularly people that are struggling financially or struggling with their farm operation because they don't have enough inputs to do what they want to do or don't have access to markets, and you say, how would you like to sustain what you have? They said, no, we want to improve it. So he was looking for a word that showcased this concept of improvement, continuous improvement, and he latched onto the word regenerative. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. What we've done now at Rodale Institute in working with some major brand partners is we've linked those two words together. And so now we talk about regenerative organic certification, regenerative organic uh, practices, because we really believe that organic is a baseline by which we really should be farming to get the chemistry uh, and the synthetic chemicals out of our food production system. Going back to that original paradigm, trying to make people healthy, we gotta get those chemicals out of the system. And then we can launch from there into a regenerative model where we really do include animal welfare, social justice, and then, of course, focusing on healthy soil. Absolutely. Yeah, that is uh, <laughs> such, such an important and central uh, discussion that affects all of us. And, yeah. you know, one of, the, one of the things I notice when we're doing the, the Why on Earth work and events all around the country is that a lot of folks still have this impression that organic agriculture is somehow this new thing or even a fad or some sort of marketing uh, invention. And so I, I often have a lot of fun on a stage going clear to one end and saying, let's create a timeline and start maybe with the Egyptian empire and walk our way back through a few yeah. thousand years of, of history, uh, all of which basically was organic agriculture right up until about a century ago. And what I, what I think is so important for folks to understand, uh, to really understand, is that this, this, this chemical and synthetic form of agriculture is, is the aberration. Uh, it is the, uh, the, the thing that is uh, uh, out, absolutely outside of the norm of how we ordinarily tend to do agriculture as a species. And I, I wonder if you come into that sort of... Uh, uh, encounter with folks, you know, not, not really understanding the context the way it needs to be understood? Well, we, we, we certainly we do. Uh, I would say that the timeline that you defined is exactly correct. The, the current industrial agricultural model that we have in place, not just in the United States, but globally around the world, is a relatively new phenomenon that was really designed around this concept that what we need to do is focus all of our energy on tons of output. Yeah. <clears throat> we focus very little on true quality. Now, every farmer wants to produce a quality product, and I'm not suggesting they don't, 
want to do that. But the measuring stick by which we judge success on farms or that we incentivize farmers to operate is based on yield. It, it's a little disingenuous to suggest that the true sum of, of, our, pro, of our ability to uh, survive on the planet comes down to tons and tons of commodities. Obviously, we have to produce food uh, because we have billions of people to feed, and I'm not suggesting that that's not important, but it's not the sole measuring stick. We should not say, well, farmers are judged only on their ability to produce tons and tons of this yellow stuff that we call corn, and they don't even see it as producing food. Most of the farmers uh, across the Midwestern part of the United States don't really see themselves as food producers. They're commodity growers. Uh, they grow commodities of corn and beans. The corn could be used for ethanol. It could go, there's probably corn in this vest. I have no idea. There's corn and soybeans in everything. And so they don't really see themselves as food producers. Well, when we separate the, the concept of agriculture from food production, uh, we've, di we've disincentivized farmers from paying attention to what, what, their, what their real goal is. And then at the same time, what we've done is we've said we're willing to sacrifice our soil and our environment and our, and our ecology for the sake of that yield. So it doesn't matter what you do to the soil. It, you know, farmers aren't judged on that. You know, do whatever you have to do, get as many tons as you can, produce them as cheaply as you can, and try to survive on the margins. And that's really an unfair system. You know, farmers have always done what we've asked them to do and unfortunately we've asked them to do the wrong thing now where i disagree with the timeline is that when we look at organic agriculture or regenerative organic agriculture today while we do look at the past to see what farmers did that was good we've also modernized it so we pay attention to um, modern uh, uh, ag engineering we pay attention to modern biology uh, so we're using uh, good plant genetics we're not suggesting that what we do is go back in time and put a few million bison on the Great Plains, put a few Native Americans out there to manage them and say that's organic agriculture, that's where we should head. That's not the direction we're heading. Uh, we're going to take advantage of um, precision, precision agriculture. We're going to take advantage of robotics. We're going to take advantage of all the tools that are at our, at our disposal so long as they don't interfere with our ability to make people healthy. So those tools that we've incorporated in agriculture that don't lend themselves to human health, we're gonna sit on the shelf and say they no longer have a role to play in food production or fiber production because they're destroying the soil, they're destroy destroying the uh, animals and the, and the biodiversity on that, that live in that environment and ecology. And then we're also, unfortunately, making ourselves sick. And you know that's kind of where we're stuck. It, it's, we understand that there's big business that's pushing the the current model uh, and there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of incentive out there in the business world to keep the status quo going change is expensive change is difficult even positive change can be challenging and difficult we understand that you know you graduate from high school you go to college positive change still struggle there's tension we understand that uh, you're single you get married tension. We understand that, but it's a positive change. Well, the same thing happens when you move from a chemical-based system to an organic system. Uh, there's stresses in there. What we need to do now as a society is figure out, it, certainly we have to agree that that's where we want to go, and if we do agree with that, then we have to work with those producers and farmers uh, out there in the countryside and ranchers and say, how can we help you navigate this tumultuous transition period? Yeah. You know, one of, one of the things that you're spearheading and uh, innovating on is the regenerative organic certification uh, program that's in the process of, of being rolled out this year, 2020. And I am so thrilled with my own personal background in the food and agriculture arena for many, many years. I am so thrilled about this step that we're now taking and about the both opportunity and imperative for us as consumers to do really all that we can do to support with our dollars for those food purchases, those beverage purchases, those uh, fiber clothing purchases, um, as much of this emerging regenerative organic certified uh, method of production as we can. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to dive into that and, and really to share that as a, as a very hopeful and groundbreaking, you know, no pun intended, 
uh, development that's underway as we speak. And I, I want to hear from you. What are you excited about? What are the challenges? And how does the general public fit into helping this thing move forward as quickly as possible? Well, I'm glad you brought up uh, the, the model that we're creating around regenerative organic certification and the alliance that we, that we built to move that model forward. It's a real exciting time. I mean, one of the things that Rodeo Institute prides itself on is that we are a solutions-based company. There are a lot of organizations out there, nonprofits, uh, activist groups, that are really, really good at pointing out problems. Yeah. We tend to be really, really good at pointing out solutions. That's what we're all about. You know, we don't, we don't want to sit here and say, you know, it's easy to say Roundup is bad okay, what's the alternative? How do we give people solutions to work around that? That's what Rodale is all about. The other thing we're really good at is putting science around this story. We are a science-based organization that focuses on soil, soil health, and food production with an end goal of having uh, healthy populations. So we see ourselves really as a human health organization, although we work in the soil. So it seems a little odd, but I was just meeting with a, uh, a cardiologist yesterday that was talking about uh, heart health and how he traced heart health back to uh, dental health, which traces back to breathing. And he said, but at the end of the day, heart health starts with how farmers treat the soil. And, you know, it was, it was a, an enlightening moment for him when he came to that conclusion that he said, what I really need to do is get people to eat a healthy organic diet, of course they need some exercise, that's part of heart health, but he said if they, if, if they don't feed themselves properly, and if we don't take care of the soil properly, it's impossible for people to have human health. So that's really an amazing link that we've been able to make through this scientific enterprise that Rodeo Institute's all about. Now what we've done is we've tried to uh, create a certification model so that we can bring customers, consumers, and the average person into this dialogue. Because as you just alluded to, we all vote with our, our dollars for a particular food production system. Uh, we vote sometimes three, four, five times a day. It depends on, on your eating habits. But we vote constantly with our, with our dollars, and people aren't really always paying attention or aware of what they're, what they're doing with those food dollars. So what we've done is we've partnered with a bunch of brands that produce food and fiber products and said, how do we orchestrate a new certification system that consumers can rally around so that they can uh, purchase products that incorporate a whole suite of values that they come to the marketplace with? Most uh, customers or consumers come to a, a grocery store, a restaurant, or wherever they purchase their food, or if you're buying fiber products. Uh, you come with a suite of values, not just one. Uh, some people are single-issue voters. Most people have a whole suite of, of issues that are of concern to them. Same thing is true in the, in the marketplace. So, for example, one of our concerns was if somebody wants to come and buy a product that is organic, that's great. But somebody else may come and say, well, I'm really interested in social justice. So I'm looking for a product that addresses my social justice concerns. And then we have people that say, why can't I have both? Why can't I have a product that both embodies my values around uh, getting the chemicals out of the system and having an organically certified product, as well as a product that has a social justice component to it, or an animal welfare component, or carbon sequestration, because the climate's really important to me. Why can't I have all of that? Uh, we believe you can. And you should, and people deserve that. And that's a, the rallying cry around which we hope consumers begin to focus as we roll out our regenerative organic certification and seal. You know, I've talked with a farmer, just, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I like to deal with visuals because I'm a visual person. And this farmer said to me, I feel like a Boy Scout with a sash full of merit badges because I have so many logos on my product that I'm trying to sell because I am I'm animal welfare approved and I'm, I got a social justice label and I've got an organic seal and I'm, I'm halal and I'm you know, kosher and I'm all these things. He said, couldn't I just find, uh, you know, to continue with that Boy Scouts theme, he said, you know, when you get enough merit badges, you become an Eagle Scout. Yeah. And then that's the only merit badge you use. You just show it to everybody. Oh, I'm an Eagle Scout. And people, even if they weren't in scouting, they recognize that it took a 
lot of work to get that. And there's a lot embodied in that one merit badge that you got, which is the Eagle Scout badge. And so the farmer said, can't I have one seal that says I do it all? Everything that's important to people on this planet in terms of their health or their climate or the environment, I do it. And I do it really well. Can I get a seal that sets a high bar standard that means I do that? We think you can, we think you should, and we're developing that. Now, our, our certainly our goal with creating this standard, which is called the Regenerative Organic Certification, or ROC, the ROC seal, which will be rolling out in supermarkets in the next few months. Our goal is not to be the 1% of the 1%. Our goal is to set a high bar standard that leads everybody in the industry to the next level of, of production. Uh, people uh, follow leaders and they follow groups that move in a positive direction and nobody wants to be left behind and said, yeah, I'm going to do it the old way. Uh, you know, there's no cars that get made today with drum brakes. They all have disc brakes because it's such a much better uh, mode of stopping uh, a vehicle. I mean, you get a bicycle, it has disc brakes on it now, not the old little rubber things, you know, it's got disc brakes. Perfect. It, it works. So everybody wants to move to that next level. And we, we understand that there aren't any farmers, even in the conventional model, who are deliberately trying to mismanage their soil. But unfortunately, that's what's happening. And so what we want to do is encourage uh, processors and producers to, to buy products that are produced under the regenerative organic seal. And that way we know that the labor on the farm was treated fairly. We know, and, and the farm could be international. Uh, this is an international a certification, not just a domestic certification. So people who are buying a food product that came from India or uh, Argentina or any other country in the world, you'd like to know that the people who produce that food, who process that food, were treated fairly, or that fiber, uh, a fiber product, that they were, they were treated fairly. Any animals that were involved in the system were treated fairly, and that the soil is improving with time. So whether we sequester carbon in India or in Indiana, it's all the same to the planet. We just got to drag that carbon out of the atmosphere and get it in the soil. And this regenerative model actually does that. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. It's a race to the top, right? Instead of a race to the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so potent. What are, what are some of the, the brands that you're excited about that we as consumers will be able to uh, buy here in the coming months? Well, uh, I would encourage all of your listeners and viewers to uh, go to the Regenerative Organic Alliance and check out the brands that have signed on with us. Uh, I, it's changing daily, so I, I don't want to leave anybody out when I, when I call out specific brands. But two of the leading brands that have been involved with, with Rodeo from the very beginning and have taken a real leadership role are Dr. Bronner's from uh, Dr. Bronner's Soap because they use a lot of organic ingredients in their products, and then also Patagonia. Pat, both Patagonia Fiber and Patagonia Provisions are really excited about what we're doing here because they want to bring the finest, highest quality product to the marketplace at a fair and reasonable price. And they know that their customers and their, their clientele uh, pays attention to what they're doing with their company and their organization. But there are many. I think there's 42 brands. Uh, Danone is on there. Uh, uh, Applegate Farm is on there. There's just a load of brands out there. Again, I, I hesitate because I don't have a list in front of me and I know I'm going to upset somebody if I don't mention their name on your podcast, but uh, there's a lot of them. So I would just encourage your listeners again to go to the Regenerative Organic Alliance, look up all the Alliance members, and of course support those brands that support the ideas, the values, and the mission statements and vision that all your listeners really ad admire and adhere to because that's, yes. that's the only way we're going to survive is if they people say yeah that's important to me it's important to them i'm going to support them i'm going to buy product anyway let's buy that product and 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 move the needle like you said it's a high bar standard lifts everybody up everybody's going to have to move in order to, to work towards that goal yeah it's, it's a great point and i'll be sure to include the Regenerative Organic Alliance um, link in our show notes when we publish this episode so folks can find that uh, uh, very readily uh, right there in the uh, show notes. And um, yeah, I really appreciate the shout out to the, the few that you mentioned and that there are many others that uh, we should all know about. So I'll, I'll even go in and look for the list and, and list several beyond the uh, few that you've mentioned here. 
And, um, you know, Jeff, one, one of the things as you were talking about how we, we vote several times a day when it comes to buying food, three, four, five times. Um, having, I'm, I'm, I'm voting for five. I'm just yeah, yeah. No, well, this is something I, I've thought about a lot and actually wrote about in, in the book, Why on Earth? Having sold food products to restaurants in particular, I've come to understand that actually often each meal is 10 to 15 or even 20 votes because we're bringing together all these different ingredients, we're bringing together spices and oils and so forth. And so each one of those components is a single signal going out into the global marketplace. And if it's from a conventional uh, chemical-based agricultural production system, we're basically telling the global marketplace, we want more of that. Whereas if it's organic and regenerative, we are telling the global marketplace, we want more of that to be made. And so I really emphasize for folks the immense power that we each wield with our consumer demand decisions and that uh, whether it's the groceries we're buying to bring home to prepare foods or our choices to eat out at places like restaurants, uh, these are having very real impacts on soil and water and people all around the planet. Yeah, I was just talking. I mean, part of it is education and knowledge of what we're doing. You know, some people say, oh, well, organic or regenerative organic. When I vote with my dollars, it's going to cost me more dollars. The problem that we have is, isn't that organic food is overpriced or too expensive. It's that conventional food is undervalued and the true cost of the production is externalized. So you yeah. don't pay for it at the point of purchase when you buy food, but you pay for it down the road. Uh, I was just talking to a woman today in a, in a meeting, uh, uh, who uh, a professional person who said she was struggling with some, some uh, auto, autoimmune diseases, and her doctor said, get on a more plant-based diet and try to reduce your meat consumption, which she did. What she, they also tested her for glyphosate contamination, which right. she had some in her body. But when she switched to a more plant-based diet, her glyphosate levels went up in her body because she never made the connection between how the food was being produced and the right. food she was consuming and her health. And so what she found out was she had to switch to an organic plant-based diet. Yes. And then those levels came down and her health came back. Right. And it's like, yeah, the way we produce food has a huge impact on its ability to sustain or improve or regenerate the health of our, of our individual selves. So yes. we really need to look at that. So she was saying, yes, I was, I was buying food and it was cheap food and it was still vegetables. So you think, oh, I eat more fruits and vegetables. That's good. It is and it isn't, you know, because of the way we're producing things. So you either pay the doctor or you pay for EPA to clean up the chemical spills or you pay to clean up the, the river. You know, we have to dredge the Mississippi River every year because we wash topsoil in because of the way we farm. If yeah. we stop farming that way, you wouldn't have to pay for the dredging, but you'd have to you'd pay the price of food would go up, but then you wouldn't have to pay for dredging. Now I'm not trying to put dredgers out of business. That's not my my suggestion here. But uh, we have to really look at all those external costs that we've incurred in our food production system, let alone the, the, the climate impacts that we're all seeing where we're sending carbon into the atmosphere instead of keeping it in the soil where we need it. We have to pay for those prices somewhere. And just simply changing the way we eat, food that we eat is produced could mitigate so many of these problems. Yeah. That's where the solution lies. You know, I absolutely love it. It reminds me of a, a wonderful and pithy quote from the, the great regenerative farmer, uh, cum philosopher and comedian, uh, Joel Salatin. And I recall him saying something like, if you think organic food might be ex a little bit expensive, have you priced cancer lately? And, you know, when we look at the whole system, when we look at our own lives and the lives of our friends and family, loved ones, um, to, to really understand these uh, interconnected uh, points and impacts, I think is, is so important. And you mentioned glyphosate, which is, of course, the uh, 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 active ingredient in a very potent pesticide that's in products known as Roundup and um, others. And uh, it was just a couple of years ago, 2018, when the uh, producer of Roundup, Monsanto, was found liable for the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma of a groundskeeper, a guy named Dwayne Johnson. 
and was ordered to pay $289 million in damages. And since then, there have been a whole slew of lawsuits, including class action lawsuits around this. And the, the truth, the bottom line in this is that here in the United States in particular, although it is global, uh, we've been the unwitting guinea pigs of a massive uh, chemistry experiment. And it's been in many ways destroying the gut microbiome in our own bodies, which has absolutely been impacting our immune systems, uh, other health issues like cancer, et cetera. And even science is emerging, making connections to cognitive performance, behavioral performance, these sorts of things. It, it's a really important issue. And, and I'm, I'm just thrilled to know, Jeff, that you and your team are helping to connect these dots for folks in a way that's, again, very focused on the solutions and on the actions that we, we can be taking. Yeah, there's, there's so much that the soil does for us that we don't understand. Uh, we just became aware a few years ago of an amino acid that's produced by soil funguses. And of course, our scientific team would say it's certain bacteria that act like funguses in the soil that produce uh, an amino acid called ergothionine. And I would encourage all of your viewers and listeners to, to Google search when they're done or Bing search or whatever you know, search engine you want to use, uh, search the word ergothionine. Turns out that we've known that ergothionine exists since like 1909 or something like that, but we didn't know where it was produced or how it was produced, and we didn't really know what it did. Well, it turns out that it helps the human body fight off certain cancers, colon cancer being one of those, and also certain neurological diseases like attention deficit disorder and autism and Alzheimer's. When you look at what's on the rise in this country, it's attention deficit disorder, Alzheimer's, and autism. So rates that cannot be explained simply by diagnostic testing. Yes, I think we've broadened the spectrum of what uh, autism is, or maybe attention deficit disorder, or even moved on from saying normal dementia is maybe was misdiagnosed and should have been Alzheimer's. I understand that, but not enough to say we went from um, one in 25, uh, I'm sorry, one in 10,000 people to now one in 25 people having autism. That's insane. Yeah. It, 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 and and you, you can't say that's diagnostic. You can't say the world hasn't changed that much. Yeah. The way we produce our food has. And so we've eliminated, if you look at ergothionine levels in the food, they have been dropping steadily over the last 50 to 100 years. Mm. So they, it tracks, I understand uh, correlation is not causation, I, I understand that. Yeah. You, you know, you start to hold up all these models, one after another after another, in front of a kindergarten child, and they're gonna go, okay, I can see the picture that this is painting, or I can see how the pieces of the puzzle make a picture, and the picture is clear to me, and I don't need 7,000 studies and 30 years of work like we did with the tobacco industry to prove that smoking isn't healthy. Yeah. I mean, again, when a kindergarten kid, when you ask them, does sucking smoke into your lungs make you healthy or not? They're gonna go, no. But of course, we spent 30 years and 7,000 studies to showcase that, yeah, that was bad for us. It's not a good practice. Now we saw people who smoke and that's certainly their right to do that, but no doctor in the world today says, well, if you smoke one pack a day, if you wanna get healthy, smoke two. That mm -hmm. doesn't happen. They're going to say, you stop smoking and reduce, it. You reduce that intake. That's not good for you. We're doing the same thing now with soil. We're yeah. saying you can't have healthy soil when you spray millions of tons of Roundup or any other pesticide on it. Uh, you can't use poisons to make people healthy. It doesn't work. It doesn't work to make the soil healthy. And without healthy soil, you can't make people healthy. So these are all linked together. We don't have to do studies to see that. You know that. I know that. Your listeners know that. How do we begin to encourage farmers to do what we want them to do? Because they will. Because they want to do what we ask them to do. So. Absolutely, Jeff. Let it's me. Pretty uh, simple. It's pretty simple, but yet it's pretty complicated. Oh yeah, yeah. We got a lot of work to do, clearly. But uh, yeah, it, it is simple. So let me remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Perry, and today we are speaking with Jeff Moyer, the CEO of Rodal Institute, uh, which is part of a consortium that is helping launch the new Regenerative Organic Certification. And I want to give a special shout out to some of our sponsors who make this podcast series possible, along with the rest of our community mobilization work 
for climate action, soil regeneration, and cultural healing. And that includes uh, Earth Coast Productions, Patagonia, the Lidge Family Foundation, Purium, and Waylay Waters. And I also want to give a huge shout out to the folks who have joined our monthly giving program, which is also key to supporting this ongoing work. If you haven't yet joined and you'd like to, you can go to whyonearth.org support and join at any level. Now, in a special <laughs> partnership with Waylay Waters, if you choose to join at either the $33, the $88, or the $133 levels, you'll get monthly shipments of our special CBD hemp-infused soaking salts uh, to help with your own health and well-being. And uh, you can find info on that at whyonearth.org slash waylay-waters. That's W-E-L-E-waters. So a huge thanks to all our supporters. And uh, Jeff, uh, I'm just, I'm, I've got to admit to you that when I first heard about what was being put together with the regenerative organic certification, I, I was overjoyed because having worked for 20 plus years in the food and agriculture arena, uh, I, I was seeing that th there was a really important missing link for the consumer demand pathway to get further activated around this whole host of positive uh, beneficial attributes in agricultural production. And I guess I'm curious just to get a little bit of the, you know, the backstory, the behind the scenes, how, how did this all start to come together with your friends at, uh, you know, Patagonia and Dr. Bronner's and others out there? Oh, well, yeah, it, obviously uh, this was a, is a journey. It is a journey. It's, it had some beginnings and uh, I don't know where it'll end, but it, we're, we're still in the, the, the midst of the, of the journeying. Um, let's see. I, I mentioned how we started with the history of those words. The word organic and the word regenerative were always Rodale words. They've been Rodale words for seven decades as we've moved on this path. And so when organizations like uh, uh, Patagonia and Dr. Bronner's were interested in, in trying to expand their vision of how food was produced, it was only logical that they reached out to Rodale Institute. Uh, we, we initiated a conversation that branched out into a giant listserv. Uh, I'm going to guess eventually there was at least 100 people uh, or, or organizations on this listserv. And the conversation got really spread out. It got really far and wide as people were talking about how can we be regenerative without being organic. And it's, it's a little bit like saying, I want to be an athlete, but what I really want to do is sit on the couch and eat potato chips and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. you, you can say you're an athlete, but it <laughs> right. doesn't make you an athlete. Uh, so we, you know, a group of us, we kept, we, we sort of pulled back and, and, and I said to the, to the group, to um, Patagonia folks and, and, and Bronner folks, let's pull this back. Let's, we heard everything that people are going to say. We've heard it all. And now there's just all this fighting between everybody trying to prove that they're right and that there's multiple paths to regeneration. And I don't discount any of that conversation. And I wouldn't say that there aren't multiple paths to uh, a regenerative system, but they all pass through the word organic because you can't be regenerative and still use pesticides on the soil. And there are people who say, well, I am regenerative and I, I improve the health of my soil. I just use a little bit of chemistry, just a little bit. And it's like, yeah, that's just a little bit too much because you know, it doesn't take much to kill microbes and to kill that tiny life in the soil. Uh, you know, I was talking with a, a fellow who said, well, well, and he was a soil scientist and he works in the area of uh, fertilizer enhancers. One of the problems that we have with fertilizer in, in a conventional system is we put nitrogen fertilizer out on the field and it's basically a salt. When you put salt in water, it just dissolves and goes away. Some of it will volatize and go up into the atmosphere and some of it will just leach into the, into the soil. So they, chemistry, you know, we're pretty smart as people and the chemists have figured out a way to encapsulate that uh, fertilizer uh, granular, granule, in a way that the way, it, the, the way fertilizer decomposes in the soil is the microbes attack it. So as soon as you put that fertilizer on the ground, microbes attack it, it leaches into the soil and it's gone. So if we can stop the microbes from attacking it, 
it won't decompose and we can essentially have a time release fertilizer. So if we're planting corn, we can put all the fertilizer on in spring and it will release slowly over the course of the season as the corn plant needs it. Perfect. The problem is what you, the only way to do that is to kill the microbes in the soil mm. so that they don't attack the molecule. So you, you encapsulate it with a, um, a fungicide and a bacteria side that kill all of the microbes that are, happen to be near where that fertilizer pellet landed on the soil. And then you have a time release fertilizer. So this person was saying, well, that's regenerative. I said, well, how can you say, well, we, we're going to use less fertilizer. I said, yeah, but you killed all the microbes in the soil. He said, yeah, but just for a little while, eventually they come back. So it's like saying, well, if you had chemotherapy once a year, it would be okay because, yeah, we're going to destroy all your gut biome, but you'll recuperate. But as soon as you recuperate, we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again, and we're going to do that for decades and centuries. And that's crazy to think that we can improve the health of the soil that we need to survive by treating it that way. You just can't. So in a, in a more regenerative organic model, we're saying, no, that kind of chemistry, those tools, while they're fascinating from a scientific perspective, they don't really work. And we're going to focus our energy on those tools that do encourage us to be healthy, that do encourage soil health and help us regenerate the planet, regenerate our, our, our climate, be able to live in a, in a, um, and farm in a uh, climate which is drastically changing. Uh, we see that almost every day in every part of the country. Uh, everybody says the weather isn't the way it used to be. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, our grand productivity scheme of trying to focus on tonnage was based on, on cheap oil and a very steady climate. Uh, none of those exist anymore. So the model is no good. We need a new model. Regenerative Organic is that model, and we're excited to move that forward with our partners who have, like I said, they've, they've gravitated to Rodale because we've always been there. We have a reputation for being as I mentioned, a solutions-based company, but also a, an organization that's uh, seen as a voice of reason in a very chaotic world. We are not activists, although we uh, try to incentivize change. We do that by inspiring people to greatness, not by uh, chastising them or, or beating them up. So we would never suggest that any farmer is doing something wrong. We're just going to point out a better model and hope that they gravitate towards it and then support that gravitation towards that model with consumer demand. Absolutely beautiful. And folks can go to rodalinstitute.org. That's R-O-D-A-L-E institute.org. And can folks make donations there as well to support that work? Oh, they sure can, Aaron. Okay, uh, yeah, we, we, are, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. I can tell you there is only one organization like us in the world, and that's because it's expensive to run a research organization that is not tied to product sales. We don't sell a product. Uh, we've got the worst business model in the world. I tell everybody we give it away. You know, we produce science, we produce information, and we give it away. We give away training. We give away our expertise because that's what our philanthropic dollars allow us to do. So, yeah, I would encourage all of your listeners, uh, if they can, if they're able, to, to go to our website and figure out a way to, to donate to us, to take an action step, even if that action step is simply buying more organic food. Obviously, yeah. that doesn't help us directly, but yes, we, you can donate to us, our, 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 our app, our, our phone app, our smartphone app, no matter what kind of system you use to do that, it's very easy, one push a button, and, and you can donate to us, and, and we appreciate every donation that we get. Uh, we treat it with the, the greatest of dignity and respect and, and put it to good use. Yeah, beautiful, Jeff. And I, I know that you guys also have a strong social media presence with Instagram, Twitter, and others. And we'll be sure to include the links in our show notes for all of that as well so that folks can f find you and, and like and follow um, the work that you're doing out there in the social media realm. Um, that, that, that's great. You can, you can see from my image that I am not a millennial. And so I don't have our <laughs> social media addresses buried in my head. Because unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't use social media. So we're, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're, we tweet, we do all those things. to get. And it's important that people know that because we're trying to get the information into the hands of folks that can make a difference. Absolutely. Well, that leads me to, to one of my final questions here, which is um, with respect to the growing Why on Earth community, and we've got folks in communities throughout the United States, throughout North America, and, and increasingly worldwide, 
and in particular our growing network of ambassadors, uh, what's, what's an additional call to action? In addition to buying organic, looking for the uh, regenerative organic certified products, and in addition to supporting Rodell, what else would you encourage people to, to do, to do more of, to do in their communities to help with this big picture that we're all working on? Well, I think anything that folks can do to share information and share this story, yeah. which, which is a very positive story. And I think that's what's important <clears throat> for all of us to, to understand that because of the science that we've been doing here at Rodale and other places as well, we've been able to document, doc, um, document very clearly that all is not lost. Yeah. Yes, soil is degrading uh, worldwide. The United Nations will tell you that the soil degradation is happening everywhere on the planet. It's either being uh, uh, covered in salt, it's, being, uh, it's, it's turning into desert, it's being built on, it's being flooded. So many things are happening and we're losing that productivity of the soil. But the beauty of it is we can turn that around. Yeah. By changing the way we farm, Nature wants to work with us. They want to see that happen. It wants to see that happen. And if we apply different practices to the soil, we can make a difference. And so it's a positive story that everybody can share with someone. Why would you keep a positive story to yourself? You know, share that information. Talk to people. Organize around that. Talk to your politicians. You know, policy has a lot to do with how we uh, how we farm on this, uh, in this country in particular, uh, but of course all of North America and, and much of the world. Uh, decisions that are made in Washington, D.C. impact the way we farm in Iowa, which, it, which impacts the health of children in Boston. Yeah. It's all connected. So we got to get to politicians and say, we want to encourage you to support farmers that want to transition. How do we encourage bankers to give low interest loans to farmers that want to do something good rather than penalize them by giving them high interest loans because they find it more risky. How do we absorb some of that risk through our policies? We know we can do that. If that's something we want to do as a society, there's room for everybody in this messaging platform that we're talking about. If you're a storyteller, tell the story. If you're a, a podcaster, do a podcast. If you're simply a consumer, uh, consume smartly and wisely and support that if you're philanthropic make those donations wherever you see your skill set fitting in help that happen uh, it doesn't matter where you are on the economic spectrum uh, we know that in in our local communities here uh, some of our uh, underprivileged uh, folks or ethnic groups that are our spanish-speaking communities they're interested in human health they've got families they want their children to be healthy how do we create mechanisms that make these foods affordable for them. Here in Pennsylvania, for example, where Rodale Institute is housed, we've worked with our state so that we've created a double SNAP program. So if you buy organic food through one of our CSA shares or membership organizations, which we, which we take to underprivileged communities, you get double SNAP. So you get the food at half price. So it's not like we can't afford to put this food where, where it belongs. It should be in schools. Instead of having uh, just regular old fruit that's contaminated with pesticides, why don't we have organic fruit in, in every uh, grade school across the United States in the cafeteria? We can do that if we make that decision. And a simple decision like saying, I want organic milk or organic apples, everything else starts to change. People start to question and say, well, okay, let's start with apples. Let's start with milk. How, how do we go to the next level? And it encourages the industry to grow and farm. Farmers are going to say, hey, this is what people want. This is what I want to produce because it's really what I wanted to do anyway. Yeah. So everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a voice, uh, whether you're buying fiber, uh, buy organic fiber. But buy organic fiber where you do your homework and understand how the people who produce that fiber were being treated. Yeah. Was it organic cotton from Turkey that was harvested by uh, school-age girls? That could happen. Uh, and that's not what we want. So we, we want to have to do our homework. Use your technology. You know, I was just in a, in a local store here in, our, in a small, small town uh, with a store owner that I know, and he just said, you know, we were talking about uh, smartphone technology. He said, it used to be if I upset a customer, I probably upset six customers or potential yeah. customers. Now if I upset a customer, by the time they get to their car, 6,000 people are upset with me. That's the power of social media. And so I think everybody should get on, everybody that listens to this podcast, Tell six people, if, or tell 6,000, but tell people what you heard. Don't keep it to yourself. Everybody can do that with the push of a few buttons and, and, and encourage other people to hear this story, hear this message, which is positive, 
which is action-oriented, and they can do something about it. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely beautiful and, and so important, so pertinent, Jeff. And as you're as you're talking, one one thing comes to mind that I want to be sure to uh, hit on a little bit more before we, we sign off for the day, and, and that is the carbon sequestration piece of this soil regeneration puzzle, and how essential that is to dealing with our climate crisis and to stabilizing our climate. And when we look at the trend of carbon loading in the atmosphere going from 280 parts per million to well over 400 parts per million in a handful of generations, uh, we see in the global carbon cycle that an increase of soil carbon of 10% worldwide is equivalent to sequestering all of that carbon increase we've seen since the beginning of the industrial revolution. That doesn't mean it's necessarily easy. That doesn't mean that we're not dealing with complex systems and that we need a, an entire slew of strategies at all scales. But what it means to me is there is a very, very hopeful message in all of this, which is through soil regeneration, we actually have a very real shot at reducing the carbon concentration in the atmosphere and stabilizing our climate. And I'm wondering if, if you can speak to, to that for a minute. Well, for sure. Uh, if, if folks go to our website, we do have a, a climate white paper, a carbon white paper on our website that explains all the science behind that. And that's very well cited and documented so people can actually look up the research papers that support that science. But you're absolutely 100% correct. The only, the only tool that we have available to us to sequester carbon and pull it out of the atmosphere is photosynthesis. It's the only tool we have, and it works. And it works at scale. I mean, if I had invented photosynthesis, or you did, we'd both be Nobel Prize winners, and it'd be the greatest thing since sliced bread. But because we have it, and it's free, people ignore it. You know, if you take a, a teaspoon, and most folks have an idea of how much a teaspoon of soil is. There's more microbial life in that teaspoon of soil than there are people on the planet. Over, over 9 billion microbes will be living in that teaspoon of healthy soil. Now, if it's uh, desert sand, that may not be the case. But a good, healthy, organic soil, there's more life in the soil than there is above the soil. That life in the soil is all made up of carbon. As we expand that life in the soil... By, treat, by not poisoning it, by treating it differently, we drag carbon out of the air through photosynthesis and store it in the soil. It's the way all the carbon that we put into the atmosphere got there in the first place. It was all stored in the soil. As it percolated down and got pushed down, we sucked it up as oil and coal, burned it and put it back in the atmosphere. Now we got to take it back down, and the only tool that's going to do that is photosynthesis. So we've got to get more plants on the ground, and we've got to get the ground covered with something green and growing. Organic and regenerative organic does that. For example, if I get in an airplane, well, as the snow is starting to melt across the Midwest, and I were to fly from here to California, everything I would see would be brown. That is wrong. It should be green. Farmers should be planting cover crops. When they're not using the soil, cover it with something green and growing so we can sequester carbon out of the atmosphere. Unfortunately, we as people have said, well, but that adds to the cost of food, so we're not going to pay for that. Or maybe we'll allow, we do have equip funds through the, through the USDA NRCS office that will reward farmers for planting cover crops, but at the very best, it's a break-even operation for them financially. So why would anybody, any of your listeners, get up in the morning and work for a break-even job? You, you wouldn't do it, I wouldn't do it, nobody, there's no incentive to do that. Well, we can't ask farmers to do that either. So we have to change and incentivize them to do what we want to do. So by setting this high bar standard that we've created with regenerative organic, we're going to force every farmer in the world to cover crop. Mm. That's going to sequester carbon out of the atmosphere and put it in the soil. Because when there's something green and growing, carbon is being pulled. Photosynthesis, carbon dioxide, it comes out of the soil. And, and it, when it comes back out, it's oxygen and the carbon's left behind. And it just does that for free all day, every day. It's the only tool that we have. It's the best tool we have. And we have to put it to work. You know, when, when uh, we had the Paris Climate Accord, the only organization that was there to talk about soil was Rodale Institute. Soil was not mentioned. One of the reasons is people said, well, we don't want to pick on farmers. Mm -hmm. But if we don't see farmers as part of the 
problem, we cannot see them as part of the solution. Agriculture is part of the problem. It has to be part of the solution. And it can be, and it's a very positive way to solve this problem. And it's done by people just simply changing the way you purchase food. It's, it's, it's amazing. It works. And yes, it's simple. There's a lot behind it. But we know that we can 10% of a carbon increase isn't that much. We can do it on almost all the soils of the world. We can't, we can't magnify it by 10 times, but carbon is such a small part of a huge volume. So it's like a giant swimming pool. And we're just saying, if you put two drops in, put 2.2 drops in. Yeah. That's all we're saying is that's 10% more. And we can do it. We can make that change and we can do it by changing the way we farm. It's so wonderful, Jeff. And I, I, I'm going to quote you, photosynthesis works at scale. I love it. <laughs> it, does. it works at scale. Yeah, that's fabulous. I have a little factoid in my head that uh, photosynthesis is utilizing a little over 1% of all the inbound solar radiation that comes to our planet. And uh, my goodness, that chlorophyll, what, what an, uh, an amazing and elegant molecule for it to be able to do what it does with those photons coming from the sun. Yeah, nature is not very efficient, but it is very effective. Yeah. You know, if nature was efficient, an apple tree would have one flower. It, yeah. But instead, it has thousands of flowers. Some drop off. Some happens here. This happens. That happens. And it still produces fruit. So, yeah, only 10% of the energy is captured. But look at the magic that that 10% has in its effectiveness to sequester carbon. Yeah. So you're right. It doesn't have to be efficient to be effective. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, well, Jeff, before we sign off today, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to visit with us. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience uh, on, on any of this that we've discussed today? Well, I would, I would say the, the one thing I want people to continue to uh, think about and maybe do some homework on, and if I've challenged you to do anything, it's go and look at some of the science that we're talking about. Yeah. Because we're not just, there are many storytellers out there. <clears throat> and I'm not suggesting any of them are wrong or bad. I'm just saying the story that we're telling, the, the story that we're trying to put in front of people is based on science. Yeah. Science is very important. Agriculture moves on the back of science. Consumers want to know and deserve to know that what they're doing is based on science, that we have good scientific information and data to support what we're talking about, both on the human health side and on the climate health side, on the, on the soil health side. All those pieces can be substantiated with science. It's proven, it works, and people can support it. There's mechanisms to do that through our certification processes that people can go to the store today and buy an organic product and know that the people who are farming that way have made a change. You know, in this, in this country, uh, maybe I'll end on this if you want, but um, only 1% of our farmland is farmed organically. Yet 6% of the food that we consume in this country that's organic is organic. That means it came from somewhere else. It came from international trade. Why do we have farmers in this country that are refusing to change to a more productive, more environmentally friendly, more profitable system? The only reason is that they're not encouraged to do it. We need to encourage them. We need to incentivize them. We need to address the barriers that are stopping them, break down those barriers, and bring people on board. Uh, you know, we, we, unfortunately, we have six times as many farmers in this country over the age of 65 as we have under the age of 35. What's the incentive for them to change? Not much. But what we do know is that even the federal government here says that over the next 20 years, over 50% of the land that's managed in the United States will change management. And it's going to be to a younger generation. Younger folks want to farm organically. They want to get involved with soil health. They want to do things that are right. They need support in the marketplace. There's a lot of things. The, the science is there. Consumers are there. The pieces of the puzzle are right. We just have to put it together to paint the picture we want for the brighter future that we all deserve. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. It's a real pleasure to be able to visit with you today. Oh, it was exciting to be here. Uh, if anybody wants to get more information, they can contact me or the Institute anytime. We'd love to talk to them. Excellent. Thanks Take care. Bye-bye. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you.
To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.